Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Vince Groh, the Millennium Challenge Corporation's Chief Information Officer. Vince, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Jason. Great to be here. So I think this is the first time I've had the Millennium Challenge Corporation or the MCC on my show. So let's start at the beginning. What is your mission of the MCC? We uh, are a relatively new agency. We were enacted into law in 2003. We opened shop in fiscal year 2004, so about 13, 14 years in business now. And we're an international development-focused agency. The, the mission of the agency is to reduce poverty through economic growth. And we distinguish ourselves from other agencies focused on international development a couple of ways. One is we're uh, very selective about the countries that we partner with. We're looking for countries, that obviously, that need our help, that uh, fall below a certain threshold of, uh, of poverty or national income. But beyond that, we're looking for countries that have great marks on good governance, economic freedom, investing in people. And what that means is that's a, a, a relatively small pool of countries in the developing world that by legislation we are, uh, we're allowed to work with. So in that sense, uh, very competitive, but also very transparent in terms of the work that we do. Also, uh, another hallmark is that we have country-led solutions. What that means is that we work in partnership with countries, El Salvador, Ghana, Jordan, countries like that, to understand and work with them and partner with them on what exactly, what intervention would best lead to economic growth to reduce poverty in that country. And that could be anything from a transportation project or an electrification project or a reform of an agricultural sector or a deep intervention on an educational system. And so from that standpoint, it is, again, transparent and selective on the countries that we work with, but then working hand in glove with that country on determining what is best in terms of interventions. I'd also say that we're uh, distinguishing ourselves in two domains. One, you know, as I mentioned, international development, but on the other hand, as a, as a relatively new agency, I like to think of MCC as a great example of government done better, uh, a really highly focused mission and an effective agency. We uh, cap out at, as part of the legislation at, at around 300 federal employees. So we like to think of ourselves as lean and mean and getting a, a lot of grant funds out there into high-impact programs and doing that with a fairly small footprint back here in Washington. Do you do mostly grants, and then you work with people to implement those grants, or is it a combination of, of if you will, people, meaning uh, MCC employees in the field, but also through grants? Because it, it, that changes the next question about how you support the, the role as a CIO. So, so I guess the first one is grants versus people in the field or both. We are a grant-making organization, so these aren't loans, but they are grants. And the onus and the center of gravity for the actual execution of the grants happens within that partner country in what's called a Millennium Challenge account. And that is a host country legal entity staffed up by host country nationals to execute that compact. And by compact, I mean it is a five-year project or set of projects where the grant money is executed into, like I said before, a transportation or an education or an infrastructure project. Most of our staff is back here in Washington. Out in the field, we keep two or three Americans there to act as liaisons, to act as consultants. And we do provide uh, quite a bit of oversight and subject matter expertise. But again, as a hallmark of MCC, that country-led implementation, we think leads to greater sustainability 
greater country ownership and better long-term results over over the long run. Because that also changes then your role as the CIO about how you support the MCC mission, because if you're not worried about people with, for instance, too many people with low bandwidth issues or, or other things, you can really focus your efforts, as you said, here in D.C. So let's talk about your role as CIO, operational, strategic, a little bit of both. Small agencies, I, I tend to hear from CIOs, they have a foot in both sides of the aisle, so to speak. Yep. Even though I say that most of our staff is based here in D.C., as you can imagine, they are on the road quite a bit. So it kind of brings me to, uh, to the vision that I've set for my team and what our IT shop does for MCC. I, I say we envision our MCC colleagues successfully collaborating on complex programs, often in challenging environments, supported by appropriate technology that quote unquote just works. And so for us and our team, I really stress a real ethos of customer service, making sure that that busy MCC executive who is about to head out on the road and hit four developing countries in two weeks you know, every time the wheels hit the runway and that person switches on their phone, I want to make sure that they've got instant connectivity. You know, when they're in that hotel room connecting to very, very low bandwidth, you know, I want to be able for them to attend a web conference and to choose and support technology that allows people to have that technology, in a sense, fade into the background. You know, I've been on both sides of the supply-demand curve here in terms of international development. I was a, a Peace Corps country director, and I spent two years in West Africa. I was a Peace Corps volunteer, and I spent two and a half years living in uh, rural Kenya. So I know what it's like to struggle with information technology in developing countries. And so where I'm pushing my team is to get the right appropriate tools out there to support them in such a way that, in a sense, it fades into the background and our colleagues can focus on the job at hand rather than struggling just to get the technology working. I like that idea that IT fades into the background. We hear this all the time that you know IT is just the enabler, right? How many times have we heard that phrase? But in a sense, by using this idea of fading into the background, it's just there when you need it. That really puts that in a different kind of, of idea, of, of concept. You mentioned you spent some time in the Peace Corps as well. Give me a little bit of background about your when you spent time in the Peace Corps. I've done two stints in the Peace Corps. One is a volunteer, and more recently I've worked, uh, like I said, as a country director in uh, Liberia, West Africa. I actually joined the Peace Corps right after September 11th, so it's uh, it's been several years ago, but uh, it was a mid-career switch for me, motivated by just a desire to help and uh, patriotism. And uh, about a year after September 11th, I was on a plane heading to uh, to Kenya to, to take up my post in a rural farming community and spent a wonderful two and a half years speaking Swahili, helping Kenyan farmers kind of move up the value chain from beans and corn, which they traditionally grew, to passion fruit, built up some uh, supply chains for them when we started selling that passion fruit in uh, European markets. So incredibly rewarding experience and sort of broadened my horizons from more, a more traditional enterprise IT career. So for me, MCC, uh, with its focus on international development and also a real insistence that we do government work efficient with high impact is is almost a dream job. It's interesting. Now, before that, were you in IT and you made the switch or did, did you somehow end up in IT because you're in you were the country director, and all of a sudden somebody needed to fix the IT, and you, you volunteered <laughs> yourself. Give me, um, give me a, more, a little bit more back your, about yeah, your background. So, you know, started my career in the early, point, uh, early 90s, back in the day, and uh, rode out the first Internet boom in the late 90s in Silicon Valley. So have always worked to help organizations adopt emerging technology to help solve business problems. And that was all private sector. Worked for companies like Accenture back in the day joined Peace Corps as a volunteer, went back into IT, 
and decided I, I didn't have enough. So I uh, rejoined Peace Corps this time as the country director in West Africa. A couple years later, I was back here in D.C. working at headquarters. And about halfway through that stint, it was requested that I put the IT hat back on, and I was the deputy chief information officer over Peace Corps for a couple years before heading over here to MCC. So long and winding road, but net-net, uh, anything that's combining innovative use of technology to the mission of international development is a strike zone job for me. And you've been at the MCC for how long now? I started in April of last year, so a little more than a year now. All right. Very good. This is a great time to catch up because I find that after about a year, people get their feet under them and they really have some plans and, and ideas. So we'll, we'll get into that in a few minutes. But before we do that, talk about the makeup of your office, how many federal employees you have, how many contractors, your IT budget for 2017. Give us a little more background about your office. MCC has a light footprint in terms of federal employees. So across MCC, we try to keep that at around 300. So within my team, we are contractor heavy. We have nine federal employees within the IT group. We have five personal services contractors and around 70 additional contractors that make up that team. So roughly speaking, about 20% feds and PSCs and about 80% contractors across five different teams. Now, I've organized my IT department in five different groups. I've got information assurance team that does our cybersecurity work, production infrastructure team that keeps everything up and running. We've got a customer support and help desk team. And then I have two other teams. One is focused on product management, and one is focused on enterprise architecture. I split those five teams into two buckets that uh, I think other CIOs are familiar with. I, I consider the cyber team, the production infrastructure team, and the help desk team as something I call run the business. These are the day-to-day -day ongoing operational expenses and operational functions to support customers and ensure that uh, IT systems are up and running. Those last two teams, product management and enterprise architecture, are focused more on the future, more on capital investments, more on actually enacting change and leading change initiatives. And I call that group the change the business side. So again, five teams, but I split them into operating expenses, run the business, and capital investments, what I call change the business. Now, overall, that team, uh, we're running at around $20 million annual budget. And that's part of MCC's overall annual appropriation that has been settling in over, over the last few fiscal years at around $900 million. Now, one thing I should probably yeah. note is all of our financial systems are run uh, through an interagency agreement by the Department of Interior. So in terms of the problem space that I'm managing, just that, that one simple decision that uh, happened years ago really allows us to focus on more collaboration platforms, document management, custom applications we build for business process and gets us out of the business of running those big iron oracle financial systems that DOI does for us. And I was going to say, when people hear $900 million budget, they may get excited, but a lot of that goes to grants. It's not a budget that runs for 300 people. So I want to be clear on that, too, so no one gets confused that says, wait a minute, they have 300 people and they have a $900 million <laughs> budget? Yeah, if you, if you scratch below there, you know, the vast majority of those funds go off to the partner countries in the form of grants. So what's left over, we run the, the full operations of MCC, run at around the $105 million mark. From that, I take around $20 million to run information technology. All right, very nice. Vince, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can jump into uh, some of those priorities, some of those uh, collaboration tools, custom apps, and document management systems. But first, we'll take a quick break. My guest is Vince Groh, the Millennium Challenge Corporation's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM.
Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Vince Groh, the Millennium Challenge Corporation's Chief Information Officer. Now, Vince, before break, we're getting to know the MCC a little bit. Your background, very interesting background. You spent, uh, as you said, a couple tours of duty in the Peace Corps, and then you also spent a, a big chunk of your career in the private sector and before working as the Deputy CIO at the Peace Corps. So a lot of good background. You've been at the Millennium Challenge Corporation now for about a year. So let's jump right in. What are your priorities? What are you trying to get done over the next six or nine months? Realizing six or nine months in, uh, in IT moved pretty quickly in uh, the federal space. But uh, I would say there's two uh, big things that we're trying to accomplish. One, and I had mentioned before, I, I see the world in, in two ways, the kind of operating functions that we've got that we call run the business. And I'm really pressing our team to see if we can capture opportunities for efficiencies and cost savings. I would love to be spending less on the IT function at MCC and either return those funds back to the agency or even fund additional strategic initiatives, plenty of good ideas out there. But as we talk about the capturing opportunities for increased productivity and efficiencies, there's really three or four that we're looking at. One is cloud optimization. We migrated uh, very successfully last year, June-July timeframe, from a co-located data center in Northern Virginia to Amazon Web Services. And that immediately created a lot of cost savings for us. We went from spending around $1.2 million a year for those co-located services to about half that. It's hard to believe for um, you know increased service quality, increased stability, all of those good things, simply by moving to the cloud. And now any CIO or anybody working in IT realizes you know, just a simple lift and shift into the cloud is going to create some efficiencies, but now the, now the real hard work begins of moving things up that cloud stack you know, those people-powered processes that, uh, you know, you were, you were doing before and you're still doing today. Let's see if we move those things up the stack. Most of what we are doing in cloud today, I would say, is infrastructure as a service. I would love to start you know, looking at services one at a time and seeing which candidates are to move to platform as a service or even to software as a service and get away from, you know, paying a very expensive contractor that's only working for MCC, you know, moving something into uh, more of a subscription model. That would be the first vector of cost savings there. The second is we're very excited about the opportunities presented by what are called DevOps. We do a lot of custom software development. Anyone that's done custom software development, you realize, again, there's a lot of people-powered processes there in terms of application builds, deployments. Sometimes the software team is ready to go with something, but we can't get it out to customers for two weeks. Really creating automation, continuous integration, continuous deployment, automated testing, all those good things we would really like to exploit under the umbrella of DevOps. And so we'll be moving on that over the next six, nine months. And the other thing is a software deployment and patch management. It's, a, it's something that uh, most business users don't even know is happening, wouldn't really worry about. But we do spend quite a bit of time on uh, you know, manual patch management, remediation of vulnerabilities. So we're going to invest heavily in a product from Microsoft called System Center that will automate the push of patches, of new software, customer requests a new package. You know, it really doesn't require any human intermediation to get that onto their laptop. So if we, if we execute on those three things in the next six, nine months, I think that in years hence, we'll be seeing real cost savings on our production operations side. I want to talk about each of those separately, but just real quick on those cost savings, are you feeling that pressure to save money? I mean, every CIO is, and nobody has extra money per se, but are you under any sort of directive that says, hey, you need to help us save this much money beyond the normal kind of pressures that we all feel? The pressures are self-imposed, but you know, I, I definitely think we all agree we want to get ahead of the curve on this. One thing I measure is the spend in my office 
going to the run the business or operational expenses versus the capital investments is around two-thirds on the production side, around a third on the capital investment side. You know, and I, I keep pressing with my team. Any dollar we save on the production side means a, a dollar we can spend in uh, capital investments. And there's no doubt there are more great ideas at MCC for new applications for new solutions that we could possibly execute on. But the more money we can shift over into whether that's package implementation or custom development, uh, I think the happier our customers are going to be. And the other thing I should note, I shouldn't let this go, is you know, I'm very consistent with my team and our customers that these cost savings cannot come at the expense of reduced service quality or increased cyber risk. In fact, you know, if we dig into any of these vectors for, for cost saving and efficiency, I actually think what we're going to see is increased levels of service quality and decreased levels of cyber risk. So in that sense, it's a win-win-win. It's better for customers, it's lower risk, and we're saving money at the same time. Really just capturing those opportunities and taking advantage of what cloud and emerging technologies can do for an IT shop these days. It's interesting because so many times people, when you talk about saving money, it's always that outside pressure to move it from, as you said, O&M to their DME, to use the OMB type of language. Mm -hmm. And one-third to two-thirds isn't bad compared to a lot of other agencies. But I could see, as you said, and we'll get into this a little bit, with all the custom apps you guys can do or maybe people would like you to do, be able to move the money is, becomes even more important. I, I yep. can see that. Let's back up and talk about cloud a little bit. You said you picked up, you had co-located services. Now everything's in, in the cloud. Is this a government-only cloud? Is it a hybrid cloud? Give me a little bit of background about the Amazon uh, cloud you guys are, are, in, are using. bit of a hybrid cloud in that uh, we have a small number of services that remain back in a physical co-located center. But the vast majority of services now are up in AWS. And I should also say that we're, we're invested in the uh, Microsoft stack, so to speak. So Productivity Suite and a lot of tools are hosted directly by Microsoft in their cloud. So in that sense, it's very much hybrid. But for those custom things that uh, we want to keep our hands on or at least have to keep our hands on these days, that's up in Amazon Web Services. Was that decision tough to sell to your bosses, the idea of putting every, everything or many things in Amazon? Honestly, I don't think the sell was that difficult. You know, I think the sell was around stability, you know, and the, the vague promise of cost savings down the road. But as we got closer and closer to cutover and we started to have a good sense of what the bills and the invoices would look like from Amazon Web Services, we realized a few months before we cut over that we were going to be saving a significant amount of money. So in this case, we were able to return $600,000 a year to the agency simply by doing the lift and shift. And now comes to get, like I said, the hard work of optimizing, going service by service and seeing where we can where we can have even more automation and push things up that cloud stack. Yeah, anytime you can go back to your boss and say, hey, but I'm going to save us $600,000 and things will be better, services, security, that, that's a fairly easy sell. I just know from talking to CIOs over the last few years, people see the positive and, and the potential in cloud, but then they get there's that concern about security and, mm -hmm. and well, what happens if and how do we know that? And so did the service level agreements, SLAs that you put in place, did that play also a big role in creating that confidence in, in moving to AWS? Yeah, it, it did. And, you know, frankly, it have, I've been watching the space now. I've been in federal IT for about four years now. Certainly cloud service providers have become much more sophisticated and able to anticipate needs for federal customers. They certainly understand the, the size of the market, the opportunity for them to do business with federal customers. And 
whether it's FISMA, whether it's FedRAMP compliance, the government has also stepped up and met them halfway in terms of compliance mandates and certification programs. So as a small agency, we're able to draft behind a lot of the larger agencies that already made the jump. But from a security standpoint, uh, you know, I, w I wouldn't minimize the challenges or minimize the due diligence that we had to go through, but we're quite pleased with the security posture that we have. And as far as senior leadership at MCC, you know, the, the less they have to worry about cybersecurity, the better. I think any senior agency official realizes that cybersecurity problem can quickly become the most important thing on their plate and something that they're spending every day worrying about. Here at MCC, fate favors the prepared. It has not really reached that level. And uh, cybersecurity concerns, I'm consistently reporting up to senior leadership. Anytime there's a global breach that makes the news, I want to get ahead of the curve and assure them that, uh, that we're well protected and we're responding well. But for the most part, the cybersecurity issues have remained contained within my group, and that's frankly a good thing. I know we'll talk about cybersecurity later on in the program as well. Let me back up for a sec. You said you're doing some looking at platform as a service, software as a service for potential applications to move. Is that part of kind of a, a application rationalization? Give me a sense of what you're doing in those two areas. Probably best example is uh, SharePoint. So as with many federal agencies, most of our document management, most of our collaboration happens within that SharePoint and Microsoft Office suite of products. And today the SharePoint applications are hosted in Amazon Web Service. There's a lot of our production infrastructure team is, uh, is responsible for managing those on a day-to-day -day basis. We would love to, it's a great example, to push that up the cloud stack and start to use tools SharePoint Online, Office 365. Those are tools we've already procured. Now the hard work is in migrating and the change management challenges of getting everyone in the agency to adopt a new set of tools that is more cloud hosted, that has a lot of new features and functions that I think in the long run will be very helpful. But there's a training challenge, there's an adoption promotion challenge, there's uh, a communication challenge. And so we're linking up with other folks at MCC that are a little closer to the programs and a little closer to the day-to-day -day staff. And over the next six, nine, 12 months, we'll be making a concerted push to take all of our document management and all of our collaboration you know, very strongly into the cloud and away from network file servers, away from on-prem SharePoint instances, et cetera. And then what about some of the custom applications? Do you see putting that in the cloud as well? All of our custom applications today are hosted in Amazon Web Service, and we build those custom apps on the Microsoft stack today. So they're cloud-hosted, but again, pushing that up is a big strategic vector for us. We are, rather than exclusively developing in .NET, we're looking at rapid application development platforms, and I think Microsoft Dynamics is, uh, is probably the most likely for us at this point, so that we spend less time developing custom code, more time doing configuration on the front end, more time prototyping and iterating with customers, and to the extent that that's hosted uh, in the cloud, and perhaps even in Azure, not in Amazon Web Services, I think that we'll, we'll see the dividends in, uh, in faster, cheaper, better development cycles. And that actually leads to that second priority we talked about, which is this idea of DevOps, Agile, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. You guys are moving down that path. You're looking at some automated testing. I imagine that not just the test and development, but also potentially cybersecurity testing. Talk about what your plans are in, in those areas. We are just starting on that journey now with uh, a 
pretty large development team, but you know, they, they are convinced, we are convinced that looking at every step in that development value chain from you know, how we capture requirements, how we break those down into user stories, do we start by developing a test harness rather than developing code? How do we engage users in earlier in the cycle so that we're not making mistakes that we have to correct later? Uh, how can an individual developer check out code, make a change, hit a button, and it's deployed within the application within a few seconds? That's the vision for where we would like to go. And you know, as I reach out to other federal agencies, I realize that's probably one area where the federal government is far behind and one area where we can learn a whole lot from private sector participants, but in particular, true digital organizations, you know, web-based organizations, Silicon Valley-based that can teach us a lot about continuous integration, lean development, and all of those good things that come with next-gen application development. And to the extent that's hosted in the cloud, the better for us. Very good. Now, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about your third priority, uh, which was software development and patch management. And the, uh, part of that is uh, the automation of that as well. My guest is Vince Groh, the Millennium Challenge Corporation's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Vince Groh, the Millennium Challenge Corporation's Chief Information Officer. Now, Vince, before break, we're talking about some of your short-term priorities. One of the last ones I want to catch up on was software deployment and patch management. This relates in some ways back to this DevOps Agile idea that you talked about previously. But talk a little bit more about what you hope to do by improving how you deploy software, how you deal with patch management. It comes back to uh, hopefully that win-win-win situation where we've got uh, you know, cost savings, decreased cybersecurity risk, and increased service levels for our customers, and uh, we think that software deployment and patch management is going to get us there. Again, like I said, we're investing heavily in a tool for Microsoft called System Center to do this for us. Even a small agency, we've got about 500, 600 computers. Each one of those needs to be running the latest version of software, have the latest patches applied. To, In my experience, that's 75, 80% of cybersecurity is making sure that uh, your patches are up to date. The other 20% is not easy either, but as long as you get the patches up to date, you're, you're a good part of the way there. Today, a lot of it is automated, but not, not as much as could be. And by investing in the configuration around System Center, making sure that those patches are getting pushed out automatically, and with minimal interruption to end users, we think is going to really cut down on the necessity for us to have contractors focused on that. Let's let the software do do the work. Uh, it's going to do it better, faster, and cheaper than contractors and move them up the value chain to, uh, to higher value activities. So I think we're going to see that pay dividends over the next year or so. Uh, but but the, the good news is we have really aggressively focused on ensuring all of our all of our computers are up to date on patches and any of the latest global security hacks you know within 20 30 minutes we confirmed that we weren't at risk simply because of that very aggressive very diligent focused on patch management but if we can automate it and we think we can just better faster cheaper one of the things about automation is ensuring that when you patch something it doesn't break something else and a lot of people say well we got to put this in the test and development and put it in a sandbox and look at it and poke it and make sure it works how are you, through this automated process, hoping to, to not get around that, but, but make that process more happen more quickly? One other thing that we have done, we've created for the first time a, a segregated part of our network. We call it a, a sandbox. I actually like to call it a nursery. It's where um, all of the new computers, once they come out of the box, they're not allowed onto the full production network until they spend some time in the, the nursery. And that's where we switch them on 
apply all the latest patches, give it the once over, and ensure that uh, they're 100% compliant before they join the big boy production network. We'll be leveraging that segment of the network and that team that's focused on that to ensure that uh, as patches are applied, uh, they're not going to break anything. Obviously, that's the last thing that we want to do is, uh, is cause work stoppage in the name of uh, patch management. Is there any kind of timeline you're looking at to start implementing this automated patch management, this idea of automated software deployment? Definitely in the planning stages on all three of these. I think in FY18, as we get started in October, these are going to be significant pushes. And by FY19, uh, as we establish new contracts and uh, new service levels from our contractors, I'm hoping that we're going to see the fruits of that labor. All right, something to look forward to and obviously follow up with you in the coming uh, year or so. We've talked a lot about the short term, you know, six to 12 months. From a longer perspective, as you move money, hopefully, from uh, the O&M to DME, as is, is, is known, you said about 66% now in O&M, 33% in DME. If you bring that closer to 60-40 or 55-45, what do you hope to do with, over the long term with that maybe, quote-unquote, newfound money? If I would go out and poll uh, all of my colleagues at MCC outside the IT department, you know, the number of great ideas, the number of business problems and opportunities that can be captured or solved with information technology, you know, would be overwhelming. There'd be no way for us to, uh, to do all of those things. And simply cataloging them and prioritizing all those ideas is a challenge in and of itself. One thing we are doing is uh, we're, we're out to market for what we call a strategic planning services partner. So be a, a consulting firm to come in and help us to engage with colleagues with good ideas, with business problems, and help give shape to uh, those opportunities. And so for us, that was sort of the weak link of the chain for us is turning a great idea into an actual investment briefing that I can take to senior executives and say, this is, I've got a return on investment here. I spend X million dollars on an application. It's going to automate this business process. It's going to obviate the need for these people-powered processes. This is the return on investment that I see. You know, will you fund this, yes or no? And I'm really looking forward to having that partner join our team. And it gives me a more concrete way to reach out to colleagues in a way, uh, you know, let's sit down, let's interview you, let's elicit those requirements, and let's develop that briefing so that we can go out and get some funding and execute on that. The other thing is, you know, it's an awkward position when the CIO is green lighting and red lighting projects that have business impact. And what I've fortunately been able to do is, uh, is form an IT investment review board with the heads of all the departments at MCC. And on a quarterly basis, I bring forward to them in a, in a somewhat unstructured way today, and I hope to make this more structured, that set of opportunities that we see there and allow them to debate and help with the prioritization and the approval for those. So. That's going to be a big step forward for us in terms of how we manage a portfolio, how we strategically align our IT investments to the strategy of the agency, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what you seem to be describing to me is the Federal IT Acquisition Reform Act, FATARA, and it also leads us to the other question that I wanted to ask you about, which was about your IT governance processes. I know there was an audit back in 2015. Bring all that together. Explain to me how FATARA is related, how you guys are improving your IT governance processes. Uh, as you mentioned, there was an audit in 2015 around IT governance. A lot of that was, uh, was in motion when I got here. And then more recently, the uh, IG has conducted what they call the gap analysis for FATARA here at MCC. FATARA is actually mandated for CFO Act agencies. So for us, it's a set of best practices. Most of it is common sense. And to the extent uh, feasible and appropriate, we're going to implement the, uh, the mandate. The key to this 
is that IT Investment Review Board. It is an eight-member board that meets quarterly. I'm the co-chair with the deputy CEO of MCC, and it does exactly what I mentioned before. Here's about opportunities, considers the return on investment that I see for developing IT solutions to solve those business problems, and then helps me get around the table and approve things in a way that, as I said before, the CIO is not in the awkward position of giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down to significant IT investments. But with that said, we're a small agency. You know, I think my mantra has always been enough process, but not too much process. We try to keep in mind it's a relatively small shop within a relatively small agency. But with that said, I'm also a big believer that you can't manage what you can't measure. And to me, IT governance, a lot of it comes down to ensuring that you're, you're not flying without instruments. And so whether that's help desk data, whether that's data on our production infrastructure, how much uptime and downtime we're seeing on some key systems, uh, whether that's the productivity or efficiency of the teams that are focused on uh, developing custom applications, whether that's the amount of cybersecurity risk that we have quantified in terms of vulnerable endpoints and vulnerable entry points into the Internet. I'm really trying to manage this shop on a, on a heavy data-informed manner. Just real quick, you mentioned the IG just f- finished its uh, gap analysis around Fatara. It's interesting that you guys uh, one had one because, again, as you said, it's really only for CFO Act agencies. Do you get any sense of what the IG found, or when will you know what the IG uh, will find from that analysis? We've seen draft versions of the report, so I probably shouldn't speak to the specifics, but uh, anyone that's familiar with Fatara, can guess what is in there. It's a consolidation of decision-making authority in the CIO's office. There is still some legacy, what I would call shadow IT here at MCC. These are IT programs that were launched years ago outside of the formal CIO's office. And so bringing governance and bringing responsibility for the technical support of those platforms into into my shop is, uh, is going to be a key part of that. I think they were pleased to see a functioning IT investment review board our annual budgeting process, we work hand in glove with our finance team, so everything is transparent there. I think for the most part, we're going to stack up well, but uh, obviously room for improvement and uh, you know, taking a second look at those best practices within that legislation is going to be very helpful to us. All right. Well, I will look forward to seeing that uh, report from the IG as well, something maybe to follow up with you again on in a, a few months. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can talk cybersecurity, among other things. My guest is Vince Grow, the Millennium Challenge Corporation's Chief Information Officer. I'm your host, Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Vince Groh, the Millennium Challenge Corporation's Chief Information Officer. Now, Vince, uh, before break, we were talking a lot about your next set of priorities, your long-term strategy. want to jump into something that you've brought up several times during the conversation is cybersecurity. And, and MCC is among those small agencies that have access to the Homeland Security Department's continuous monitoring as a service under the Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation Program. So let's just talk broadly first. How are you guys dealing with the cybersecurity challenges? And then, and then maybe we can touch upon the DHS program, too. For, for any CIO, anybody involved in federal IT, it's just an increasingly dangerous and, and anxious environment out there. It is uh, new threats, changing threats, and, and global threats. And so if it's not at the top of a CIO's list, yeah, I would ask them to probably reconsider their priorities. Uh, we have been working very actively with DHS, and, and NIST and other agencies are, are great resources for us not only uh, in the tools and the the platforms that they can provide, but the best practices and and all the frameworks. Really taking a hybrid approach, and we're leveraging as much as we can from DHS's centralized set of services. But we've also invested heavily 
in a number of new programs to increase our ability to prevent and uh, respond to cyber threats. We've got a new email filter that we applied a couple months ago, continuous monitoring technologies that we brought in on our own, multi-factor authentication, obviously. A lot of focus on staff awareness and training. If you miss that piece, you're really going to leave yourself vulnerable. And then, as we mentioned before, really aggressive patch management, scanning our systems and making sure that we're remediating the vulnerabilities that we find. But what I've learned or what I've concluded is that more than anything, the, the increased risk of, of cyber attack kind of forces IT departments and agencies into a keep-it-simple strategy when it comes to software applications. And these aren't always the easiest conversations to have with colleagues, but you know, it, it just stands to reason that the fewer software applications that we've approved to run on our network, the more standardized our landscape is, the easier it is for us to defend that perimeter. And so you may have a staff member that comes in with a, with a pet application that they absolutely have to use to get their job done. What's funny is in a lot of cases, we look at our catalog and we have something that is already in-house, it's already running on their machine, that gets them 80 or 90% of the way there. And getting them convinced that using maybe not the tool that they wanted originally, but a tool that we've already procured and already vetted will make sense for them. And so uh, a lot of it is just making yourself a hard target, reducing that perimeter as much as you can, and standardizing the set of tools within that network. That's that's the best way to keep you safe. It's interesting you talk about limiting the, the perimeter and how do people react when they say, you know, I have a pet software project or pet pet application. Can I get this on the network? I mm-hmm. mean, you have to be pretty, you have to be the CIO no in many cases or put it in a way that's not going to harm the rest of your network, meaning kind of isolate it. Yep, uh, those are the soft skills of uh, of being a CIO. So it's, it's really understanding what the business requirements are what the business challenge or opportunity is that they're going after, and just investing the hours in convincing them or customizing or making exceptions where you need to make exceptions. And so I think if you enter those negotiations fairly and uh, if you respect the the work and the job that needs to be done, nine times out of ten you'll walk out of that uh, feeling pretty good about the process. Do you have kind of a rule that says, you know, or some kind of – Technology, I guess I should say that if someone tries to install an application onto their PC, the CIO's office is alerted, or is it just no one has administrator rights except for the few people that do? Yep, it's exactly that. So we've got things locked up pretty tight in that uh, you know outside applications are not going to install on systems within our network. We use technologies to whitelist applications, so we know we know exactly what's running, and uh, if someone tries to install something, it's gonna it's gonna cough at them. You also mentioned the hybrid approach, leveraging DHS as much as possible. Or have you guys started to look at or started to implement the continuous monitoring as a service tools from DHS? We have. We're in, uh, I would say, late stage negotiations with them. And uh, as I mentioned before, I think we'll be taking sort of a pick and choose approach. There are some tools that we already have installed that we, we feel very confident in. There's other gaps that, uh, that the DHS program can help us fill. Very nice. Now, a lot of uh, small agencies are taking advantage of this. I know DHS is uh, trying to get that off the ground. So uh, something to watch out for over the next uh, few months, a uh, year or so. I want to shift uh, as well because cybersecurity is on one side of the pendulum. The other pendulum is innovation. And I know that the MCC has done things like launch a podcast or hold data competitions. So from the CIO's perspective where you're trying to balance cybersecurity with innovation, how do you deal with the other side of the pendulum, the innovation piece? Yep. And I think you're right. That is, that is the balance. 
And also, you know, my career, I've been in IT for about 20 years now. And uh, you know, at the beginning of that time, uh, it was really the IT department that was bringing innovation, that uh, you know, had visibility into emerging technologies. In 2017, that's almost turned on its head, where I've got the day-to-day -day staff members, and frankly, those that are earlier in their career rather than later in their career, that are out there, that are working with technology in their consumer lives, and they're bringing in great ideas, they're bringing in potential solutions, and a lot of times they're bringing in specific product ideas to innovate in and around their job. So in some cases, a lot of cases, our job in the IT department is to get out of their way and provide a stable platform and a set of tools for them to do what comes naturally to them you know, in their consumer life. And in a lot of cases, what we'll find is the people that are closest to the programs, those that are traveling to these developing countries over and over again, are the ones that are coming back with great ideas, whether that's geo-information systems, whether that's the use of mobile devices to track activity and program impact. And from that standpoint, we want to really almost turn our IT department inside out and make sure that uh, technology innovation isn't only happening in the center, that we're keeping our eyes out there on the edges where innovation is going to take place, when it's appropriate, bringing them in, making sure that they're ready for prime time in a federal environment, and then rolling those things out globally. And so a lot of it is keeping in touch with colleagues that are focused on the programs, understanding what's coming down the pipe, what's important to them, and matching those opportunities with emerging technologies. You know, I think in 2017, you know, IT leaders were, were still finding that balance between the availability of ready-to-use, cloud-based, open-source, freely available tools and tool sets and platforms that are you know, fit for purpose in a federal environment that meet cybersecurity standards, that keep your architecture fairly standard, that are easy to administer, are easy to support, and don't, cost, uh, don't cause huge spikes in total cost of ownership. So a lot of it is just an open dialogue, and it's part of the CIO's job. I think it's part of any IT professional's job to really understand the mission of your agency and to get to know the people that are, are closer to the actual work your agency does. One of the things about the Millennium Challenge Corporation is, as you said, you guys are only about 14, 15 years old. In many ways, that means a lot of the people in your workforce tend to be younger or at least be potentially they have skill sets that say, hey, I want to develop an app because I saw a problem in the field that this could help. Uh, do you get a lot of people who are bringing to the CIO's office ideas or at least, you know, beta apps that say, hey, could we run this more broadly on the network? Yep, that's absolutely right. And I, I faced that at Peace Corps where – you know, the, the bulk of Peace Corps are the, the volunteers, and the bulk of volunteers are in their early 20s coming out of college. It's just incredibly impressive how tech-savvy uh, young people are that are entering the workforce. And so, you know, there is that healthy tension. You have to go into that conversation with open eyes and open ears and an open mind, really understand what that person is trying to accomplish, and then help them understand that there are perhaps higher hurdles and more hoops to jump through in a federal environment. But at the end of the day, you're both moving in the same direction to try to apply an emerging technology to solve a business problem that hasn't been solved with technology before. That's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank my guest, Vince Grow, the Millennium Challenge Corporation's Chief Information Officer. Vince, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you, Jason. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Subscribe to this show on Podcast One or iTunes.
Hey, electrical contractors. I'm Matt from ABB. Are rising costs and product delays keeping you up at night? We can help you contractor better. ABB's contractor resources are designed to help you increase productivity and profitability on your commercial construction projects. Check out Contractor Better today. Visit go.abb slash contractor better.